hang on. I just Googled fun adjectives. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and mo- But it's really just explaining the difference between funnier and funniest and funner. All right, we're going to go with gratuitously, <laughs> as in gratuitously Googling adjectives. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast. Wait, should I stop saying new? Yeah, no, we're, we're new for like three more months. Okay. I think. All right. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the unbearably young, gratuitously hip, and inordinately lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. You're getting a little uh, creative with your adjectives at the beginning of this. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Pretty good. It's the Wednesday before Easter, so it's exciting. Lent is winding down. Yeah. I'm, only, uh, only five more days till chocolate. Chocolate and, and you know, and, and, you know and the risen Christ. And Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Is anyone traveling for Easter? Yeah, I'm going home to my folks' place in Virginia um, with our... Uh, our Jesuit formation director, Eric. He's, oh, he's, I've, oh, I've got, fun. I've collected some of the Easter orphans from the office, um, <laughs> and bring him down to my parents' house because my parents love making extra Easter baskets. That's, oh my goodness. <laughs> what about you, Zach? I'm going to Ohio, the, the great state of Ohio. Nice. To, yeah, celebrate, uh, the Triduum with my family. So. Cool. cool. What about you, Olga? I'll be in the Bronx. Far, yeah. far <laughs> up north in the Bronx. I've heard of the Bronx. Yes. <laughs> far away land. Um, later in the show, we will be talking with Father James Martin about his favorite Holy Week traditions, and we'll share our consolations and desolations for the week. You know, funny we got Father Martin, because uh, I hear he has a, a new job. Yeah. The, uh, he woke up to some news on Twitter. Right. <laughs> so Pope Francis has tapped him to be a consultant for the... Secretariat for Communications at the Vatican. Yes. Wow. Yeah. The Secretariat for Communications was unable to communicate to Jim Martin beforehand (laughs) that he was being appointed to this role. He literally found out from from reporters from Catholic News Service and National Catholic Reporter on Twitter. So that was exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So we knew him when. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And does this mean we're one step closer to having Pope Francis on Jesuitical? Totally. Right? Yeah. 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 I hear he likes phone calls. Spontaneous phone calls. I'm just waiting. I mean, let's <laughs> waiting, just call him every week. Wishing. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, our first story, Sean Spicer on Tuesday. Yeah. So I actually asked Ashley why we were putting this in Signs of the Times. Um, because Sean Spicer is Catholic. His kids go to the Catholic school where my sister teaches. Oh, my. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Does he want to come <laughs> so, on Jesuitical? Does he want to come on the show? We're, we're one degree away. We can do yeah, it. Yeah, let's make that happen. Uh, yeah. No, he might be looking for a new gig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because? Because on Tuesday, um, he was defending President Donald's Trump's decision to strike uh, a Syrian airbase following a chemical attack. Um, and he said, even Hitler did not sink to using chemical weapons. Uh, and then to clarify that statement, he said he brought them into Holocaust centers. I understand that. But I'm saying in the way Assad used it, he dropped them on innocent people. So it it was a big mess. Uh, 
people were justifiably outraged. You know, you stay off Twitter for an hour, and then all of a sudden the White House issues its fourth Hitler clarification. I have to say that he has also apologized today. And as Catholics, we take repentance and forgiveness seriously. Um, so he had an interview and he said, I made a mistake. There's no other way to say it. Um, I got into a topic that I shouldn't have and I screwed up. Yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, you did. It's <laughs> a reason that you only compare Hitler to Hitler. Yeah. Okay. It's our next story. Easter Sunday is Pope Benedict's 90th birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. So um, I didn't know this, but there's a Vatican stamp and coin office. Oh, and- yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they are marking Benedict's birthday um, by issuing a new stamp. And the sheet itself shows Pope Francis and Pope Benedict hugging. And then each stamp shows Pope Benedict praying the rosary. Speaking of stamps, that's where you go when you live in Rome to like mail something if you want something mailed. Because the Italian Postal Service is just, like, totally inept. So you can just stop by the Vatican's post office, and you can rely on, like, pretty good efficiency. Cool. Cool. Thank you for explaining stamps to our (laughs) listeners who might not be familiar (laughs) with that. They go on the top right part of an envelope. (laughs) So a priest in Italy recently got into some trouble on Palm Sunday when he said that since Pope Francis came into the Vatican, he's only been bad for the Catholic Church. And... People in the pews were extremely outraged and were apparently shouting shame as he was preaching. Yeah. Um, and the local archbishop even had to get involved. So it got kind of got kind of scary. For hey, him. Father, take a break. Yeah. And I think that's what Archbishop Tommaso Valentinetti said that, you know, it's OK to give this priest a benefit of the doubt and to just kind of ask him to take some time off. He was just having a bad day. He was, yeah. You know, it happens. Happens it's better to, to punch up than down. <laughs> you know, it's actually remarkable because when I was living in Rome, people would always tell me that like Romans would love their pastor, but they would hate the Vatican. That was mm-hmm. a typical attitude among mm-hmm. Ro- like literal Roman Catholics. Yeah. Um, so if people have noted, this isn't the first time he's been critical of Pope Francis. You know, when he washed the feet of a Muslim woman at a detention center in 2013, um, this priest was very vocal about that. And Pope Francis's outreach to other faiths, he's criticized this. So, Just in general, I think that it's interesting how people are um, approaching dissent or criticism of the Pope in the age of Francis. Like, I don't know. There's plenty of hypocrisy to go around, uh, you know. 20 years ago, it would be more traditionalist Catholics who are like, you know, we brook no dissent when it comes to the Pope. And now some of those same voices are not so happy with Pope Francis and are saying, oh, maybe we don't have to listen to Amoris Laetitia. Um, but on the same token, there are plenty of Pope Francis fans who would have been very critical of John Paul II or Pope Benedict, who are now like, how dare you criticize the Pope? (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I think this priest is human and there are plenty of lay Catholics who are critical of Pope Francis. And I I don't think you should bring that to the pulpit by any means. That is an inappropriate time to do it. But I can understand if you were tired and cranky and <laughs> giving a homily, how you might slip into the the real the real issue here is it was Palm Sunday, so he shouldn't be given a homily. Yeah, no. After that, after the, that the ten minute enough, reading, so <laughs> yeah. If you just stuck, <laughs> take to a the, bow. If you just stuck to the rule <laughs> about no homilies on Palm Sunday, you would have been fine. So I I have no mercy for this priest. Uh, I, I think I think Pope Francis might might have yeah. mercy for this priest. It's kind of his thing. That's probably true. 
Um, so in other Pope Francis news, he recently opened up a laundromat near the Vatican that will specifically serve the poor and the homeless. Um, Are so, we ever worried that Pope Francis is spreading himself a little too thin? I mean, <laughs> Literally I, I mean, a million Catholics the, running a laundromat. You know, I can't even do my own laundry. I like I, I, I store it up, and then when I go home to my parents, I... <laughs> No, that doesn't. That's so bad. Okay. I know. Virginia's not close to New York. <laughs> that explains you wearing the same outfits, Ashley. Okay, I get it. All right. No, but this is like a, a really great sign from a leader because there are a lot of ways and people are thinking about serving the homeless and the poor. But something like laundry is not something you typically think about. Right. Yeah. But then when I saw this, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I take that for granted. Yeah. The fact that I can get clean clothes. Right. And-, mm-hmm. and even one of the individuals who use the facilities literally came in and was like, you know, I left clean and tidy and I felt like I had my human dignity intact. And that's yeah. something that we really do take for granted, you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, next story in the Signs of the Times. I'm very happy to report that <laughs> Harry Styles has a new song titled <laughs> Sign of the Times. <laughs> Wow! Are, did you just do this so you could sing for us, Zach? <laughs> you know, I don't. I've, I've listened to it once. I don't have the melody down quite right. Just, just try it's it. It's never stopped just you before. Try it. Just stop your crying. It's a sign of the times. Welcome to the final show. Hope you're wearing your best clothes. Okay, we got it. <laughs> Bad. I can't confirm that's not how the song goes at all. But. Good to know that Harry Styles is an avid reader of the documents of. You guys, I don't know who Harry Styles is. Are you? Oh, Lord. Olga, he's from One Direction. Thank you, Ashley. I can't. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but I think this is a good time to uh, point out what Signs of the Times actually is. Right. So we say this in the show. We haven't really explained it, but it's called this yes, for a reason. It is. It is from a Vatican II document, Gaudian et Spes, which talked about how, after the Second Vatican Council, how the Church would engage in the modern world, and part of that is not being like enclosed and self-referential but looking out to the world and seeing where we can find god in it in the signs of the times in the signs of the times all right so uh, our next story i was really shaken by the news coming out of egypt um where there were two bombings over the weekend during palm sunday masses one in church of saint george in tanto which is 50 miles north of cairo and another in the cathedral of saint mark in alexandria uh there were 44 people killed and more than 100 injured. And I don't know if you saw some of the images. Um, you know, yeah, people... there was like, yeah, one of the people killed was like an altar server, a re- really young boy. Um, mm-hmm. And there were just like images of like bloodied palms and palms and pews. And yeah, it was horrific. And Pope Francis is he's scheduled to go to Cairo and still plans on going um, April 28th to 29th. Um, I don't know, and yeah, it's a reminder of the how big the church is and how much more difficult some of the problems the church in the East and in the global South are compared to our neuralgic fights over certain issues in, in the United States. It's true. No, I will be definitely thinking and praying about the Christians in Egypt when I'm going to my Holy Week liturgies this week. Yeah. Likewise. Ditto. We'd like to 
reintroduce Father James Martin, who was our first guest, and now he's back to talk to us about Easter and his book, Seven Last Words, An Invitation to a Deeper Friendship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us again, Jim. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Hey, yeah. Jim. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's good. A little horse from a cult, so uh, that's why I sound like Joan Crawford. And I already, I already <laughs> told you, you're not a little horse, Jim. You're a real person. That's right. That's very moving. <laughs> I shed, I shed one masculine tear. <laughs> Single masculine tear. <laughs> so I thought maybe we could start out. Uh, what, what are you doing for Holy Week and Easter this year? I'm giving the seven last words talk at uh, St. Matthew's Cathedral in D.C. Mm-hmm. So I'll go down there. Uh, I guess I'll, I think I'm going there Holy Thursday, so I might uh, join them in their uh, Holy Thursday Mass. And then seven last words on Good Friday, and then back here on Saturday. And then I think um, to my sister's parish in... Um, Sterling, New Jersey, St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, so sort of all over the East Coast for Easter. So do you guys have any Easter traditions that you're going to do this year? Yeah. So Easter isn't as big in my family as Christmas. Um, we don't go to IHOP or anything cool like that. But we do go to my home parish. Um, we, we've never really done the Saturday night vigil. We're more of a Sunday Sunday morning Easter family, so do that. Come back. Mm-hmm. We still we still do an Easter egg hunt, even though we're all <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> over the age of twenty one. <laughs> in your um, in your backyard, or yep, yep, yep. We do. Um, so still keeping the Easter bunny alive. <laughs> and I generally give up sweets for Easter, so that it's generally oh, wow. just like mass and then stuffing my face with okay. chocolate. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Um, yeah. So, like Ashley's family, we don't really Easter is not that big as big as Christmas is uh, for us. So we kind of just do a family dinner. Some of us might go to mass. Some of us might not. I won't name names in my family um, <laughs> in case they're listening. But yeah, I've also given up a lot of snacks and stuff for lunch. So I'm very excited to be riding that sugar high for the next week, like with Ashley. So yeah. yeah. What, what, what Easter's yeah. all about? <laughs> uh, the true peeps. meaning. I the nice thing is that I'm not, I actually haven't been in the same place for Easter a ton in the past like few between like college and last year I was in, traveling in China and so I've just sort of like been all over the place. But the thing I really like about Holy Week and Easter is that the liturgy sort of like is the thing that I can like peg my traditions to. I guess right because even in like Good Friday is a long service here and it's also a long service in beijing <laughs> like, um so but this year i will be going home so i'm really excited for that i often uh, wonder how many catholic sort of average catholics regular catholics go to the triduum because i find that the high point of the year but i i speak to a lot of you know friends who are catholic who have never they have no idea what goes on at the easter vigil it's like oh is that the one that's 11 o'clock at night i'm not going to that yeah but no, it's so beautiful i was just talking to my my girlfriend this morning and she was like i've never been mm-hmm. to one and i was like oh it's it's like it's my favorite liturgy of the year well here's an embarrassing story when i was a jesuit novice in jamaica uh-huh. uh, in kingston i went to the easter vigil for the first time and of course as a lot of people know it has uh, fire and baptism yeah, it's and, the and best. candles yeah. and darkness and seven readings and it's it's kind of crazy and afterwards this is a true story i said to this jesuit who i was with i said wow it's that i love that those jamaican customs and he said, well, what, what part of the vigil did you think was Jamaican? I said, well, like the lighting of the fire and the candles. And yeah. And they, he said, uh, you've never been to an Easter vigil before, have you? I was like, oh, he goes, that's the Easter vigil. That's not Jamaican. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's so beautiful, but it is long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the first one I went to, well, the only one was when my sister got baptized. And oh, wow. I was just like, 
had a very similar reaction. I was like, oh my God, look at all these fantastic really things. Really pulling that- out the stuff yeah, for your sister. Right. <laughs> I mean, only because she's related to me. But yeah, I had that reaction. I was just kind of like, oh my God, this is like a fantastic mass. It's long, but yeah. I'm like, it's great. You know, St. Fran- uh, Francis is a Freudian slip. Pope Francis, uh, a couple <laughs> years ago, he decided not to do all the seven readings. And he said, we're not doing them all because, you know, people have to get home. It's too long. I can't believe that. Yeah, I really like, to, the, to the joy of parishioners everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley, have you done the Easter Vigil before? Only once. I, I didn't. It, I never did it growing up. But once I got to college, I, I went one year. Um, and yeah, no, I loved it. But it, yeah, it was never, never, and you know, I come from a super Catholic family. I think it was like, you know, there are four kids dragging them to that, oh, yeah. make, letting them, making them sit yeah. through it is a lot for a parent. Yeah. At midnight, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also, yeah. my parents don't stay up past 9 p.m. for anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> I took my mom to the Easter Vigil at St. Ignatius here in New York City, which is very grand. Yeah. And uh, I said, what'd you think? She was like, well, it was very long. And uh, <laughs> next year I said, uh, do you want to go to the Easter Vigil? And she said, quote, is that the long one? I said, okay. Yeah. No, so much for that. I have similar conversations in yeah. my family. Yeah. yeah. I've also never been to a Seven Last Words liturgy. I had no idea what it was until I read your book. Um, I actually, I assumed the Seven Last Words were one, just one of those phrases, not mm-hmm. all yeah. seven of yeah. them. Um, so can you explain what that liturgy is and what the Seven Last Words are? Yeah. So the Seven Last Words, it is a strange phrase, the Seven Last Words, because it's not words. It's really the seven last phrases or sayings that Jesus said on the cross as recorded in the Gospels. And um, that's the topic of this book, Seven Last Words. Um, and it's also a, uh, a Good Friday service that's usually a um, a sort of mix of uh, reflections on those seven last words, certainly the, the gospel readings themselves, and then music. So normally it starts with a prayer. Someone will read, you know, a gospel passage from Jesus's time on the cross. And sometimes they mix it up. They'll have um, uh, women and men preachers. Often in Catholic churches, they'll have uh, different denominations. So say like an Episcopal woman priest, and then a Lutheran pastor, and then a Catholic layperson and a sister. They reflect on the seven last sayings or words, um, and then the crowd usually sings uh, like a, a hymn in between. It's usually about three hours. It's pretty long, um, but it's it's very meditative. I, I'd only been to a few before I was asked to preach. This was uh, at St. Patrick's Cathedral two years ago. I, I really like them. I find them really prayerful, and uh, you know, you get seven different homilies, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of the themes of your book, Seven Last Words, is that um, these these seven phrases show how Jesus really understands humanity. He he was fully human. He gets us. Um, I'm wondering if you could just pick out one or two of the phrases that you that really speak to you, or you think really speak to this moment, um, and and just dive into that a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is one of the most powerful. Um, you know, he he speaks that from the cross. And a couple of reasons I like that. Uh, number one, it's very human. Uh, I mean, the idea that Jesus felt abandoned by the Father is something that we can all connect to. And so I always say to people, if you are feeling abandoned by God at a particular time, when you pray, you're praying to someone who understands you, not, not simply this sort of divine figure who is removed from our, you know, everyday experiences. The second thing is something I read in a, a commentary by uh, Ray Brown, the great scripture scholar. And he said that in Gethsemane, um, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus talks to Abba, right? And we all know that that means basically dad or daddy. It's a very kind of affectionate way of talking about God from Jesus's point of view. So he goes from Abba to 
uh, what he says in My God, My God, Why Have You Forsaken Me, depending on the gospel, either Eli or Eloi, which is Lord in Aramaic or Hebrew, right? The different translations. So he's moved from uh, dad language to Lord language, which is really kind of heartbreaking. I mean, that, that shows kind of the distance that he has, you know, from, or that he feels from God. And so it's a real, just in those words, uh, it conveys a, the sense of Jesus's real, uh, feeling of abandonment. So I find that really powerful. Uh, and, you know, it's not that God had abandoned him. Remember, he's still talking to God. And so he still is in connection with God, but he feels that distance. So the other big question is, which I love talking about, um, is, uh, the question of whether or not Jesus knew what was going to happen on Good Friday. Um, did he know what Easter Sunday was going to be? Uh, and to my mind, this, this line is one of the indications that he did not. Um, and there's a great line by Elizabeth Johnson, the great scripture scholar at Fordham, who says that, you know, you can make a case for Jesus not really knowing, uh, and not really kind of fully understanding what he's being called to, and not even understanding completely his identity, right? I mean, he knows he turns himself over to the Father. But her great line, which I love quoting, uh, is that perhaps on Easter Sunday, Jesus's identity burst upon him in full clarity. Like he turns himself over. And then on Easter Sunday, it is who he is and why he did that becomes clear to him and everybody else. For the last uh, three years, America Media has been leading uh, pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And we came back a couple of weeks ago. We took about 110 of our closest friends uh, <laughs> through the Holy Land. And one of the places was, uh, was the Church of Gethsemane. And, uh, and you could, you know, the, you could see where he, he made that decision. And also when you're there, what's interesting is the Judean wilderness is not very far away. And someone pointed out to me when I was there a few years ago, you can see how he could have escaped. Yeah. Right. So he feels this abandonment, remove this cup. And yet he still does it, which is just, I mean, obviously he had different kind of grace than we do, but uh, I find that super powerful in my own life just to kind of move ahead mm-hmm. and to do what God asks you to do, even though it's difficult and, you know, hard and confusing at times. And because ultimately this is not the last word, right? Death is not the last word. Suffering is not the last word. It is not. Easter is the last word. Yep. Uh, which is a joyful message. Yeah. Um, and that's why mm-hmm. even on even on Good Friday, you know, Zach, you were talking about the tabernacle being open and whatnot. He's still risen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it was funny. I was up at, um, St. Thomas More Center at Yale the other day. Um, and they had a sign out in the front and it said, he has risen. Hallelujah. And someone said to me, Oh, it's too early for that. And I said, <laughs> not really. <laughs> he's actually risen, right? right? I mean, even in Lent, mm-hmm. you know, he's alive. One thing. So I, uh, was going through some of America's archives looking at our old Easter editorials. Um, and one thing I've noticed in recent years and, you know, this is probably true forever. It's often we're expressing this dissonance or the difficulty of really celebrating Easter when there's so much turmoil and suffering and pain in the world. And so last year it was um, sisters being killed in Yemen this year. It's Syria. Um, so in how, Egypt. In and Egypt. It, yeah. the Coptic church in Egypt. Um, so how do you, how do you, <laughs> you know, hold on to that Easter joy and faith in the resurrection in, in times like this? Well, that's a great question. Um, it's hard at times, but it was hard for Jesus. That's, that's the one thing. One, one thing is identifying with him and seeing him as our model and all of this. Someone said to me recently, which I found sort of mind blowing. Um, hope I blow everybody's mind <laughs> that when, when Jesus left Galilee and Judea, there were still sick people there. Mm-hmm. So he didn't do everything. 
you know, there was still sickness and, and leprosy, skin diseases, you know, lameness. Those still a Roman occupation. Still a Roman occupation. He, interestingly, which sounds like it's denigrating what he did, he dealt with the person in front of him. He dealt with the individual, the Roman centurion, the one at the well, uh, you know, Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, just that person. And he healed him or her or welcomed her back into the community. And that's a reminder that, uh, you know, as you were saying, we, we can do what we consider little things, right? In the midst of these kind of overwhelming, uh, you know, feelings of oppression and, and despair. And, and we're doing what Jesus did. We're, we're taking care of, we certainly, we have to address the, the unjust structures, but dealing with individuals in front of us is what Jesus did, which is a great tool for ministry. Yeah. Pope Francis had a great reminder of this a couple of weeks ago when he, you know, when, Faced with the question, do you give to a beggar even if you don't know what he's going to give, spend the money on? And he's like, yeah, just the person is in front of you in need. Give to that person. Yes, you can worry about the structures that lead to homelessness or, you know, the government aid that this person should have. But in that moment, there's a person in front of you. I totally agree. You can do both. Yeah. You know, and I thought that's part of his kind of culture of encounter, you know, mm-hmm. which is which is Jesus's culture, too. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so, Jim, is there one particular Easter memory that stands out for you? Yeah, so I worked in uh, Nairobi, Kenya for two years, um, and uh, I was there with the Jesuit Refugee Service. And we have a – the Jesuits have a very big parish there, which, Saint, uh, which once again, I made a Freudian slip with Pope Francis, <laughs> who'll be canonized one day, <laughs> visited two years ago, called uh, St. Joseph the Worker Parish. And um, – on Good Friday, um, they had this very strange uh, custom. I didn't understand what was going on for the like a procession. Uh, rather than venerating the cross, they had a huge, if you can imagine it, uh, wooden cross covered with uh, bales of chicken wire. So if you can imagine like this kind of cross with chicken wire. And because it's Kenya, there were lots of flowers and plants and palms and whatnot around. And so everyone in the congregation, there must have been 500 people. It was a long ceremony. At the veneration of the cross came up and stuck a little flower or frond or something in this chicken wire. And I thought, well, what is this? I mean, really, what, what are they doing? I didn't understand what they were doing. I understood it was kind of like an offering or, well, gradually, after about 20 minutes, if you think about it, the whole cross turned into this big blooming plant, right? Just covered with bougainvilleas and lilies and, uh, you know, roses and it was stunning. And I just thought, what a great symbol of life, right? What a, what a beautiful visual symbol of life and of the people kind of giving life to the resurrection. So I can still see it. It was about mm-hmm. six feet tall and just this like beautiful burst of, of new life, uh, you know, on Good Friday. So that's my, that's my favorite kind of visual Easter memory. That's and, you great. know, they, and they were, it was very simple stuff that they brought, just they picked it on the way. Mm. I'll tell you another funny, funny story about that. When I was over there, uh, if, if Americans are listening to this, they'll understand this. Um, so most American parishes, they get their palms from where like Florida or something and they come and they're kind of these long. So yeah. I'm over in Kenya and I say to the pastor, this is so embarrassing. Where do you get thinking that they would have to get order, them from order Florida? Them. Yeah. I said, where do you get? Your palms Amazon from. Prime. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is, is pre Amazon though. Prime I said, now. where do you get your palms from? And he looked at me and he goes, you realize we're in Kenya, don't you? <laughs> and I said, oh, right. I looked out the window. There's like palm trees everywhere. So when they bring their palms, they bring big palm leaves. And, yeah, not yeah, those strips. Not the strips from Florida that, that, that come in a box. So, yeah, another Easter memory. 
All right. Well, happy Easter. Happy Holy Triduum to you. Thanks. Yeah. Happy Easter. Yeah. Happy Easter. Thanks for happy coming Easter, on the show. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Okay, time for some listener mail. What do we have this week, Olga? Our first shout out this week goes to Dizzying Guest, the host of Church Drunk, a new podcast and blog engaged in spirited conversation about faith, reason, and libations. What's interesting is that they started their blog and then two weeks later came across Jesuitical. Um, and they enjoy us. We bring them a lot of joy and they hope that we will listen to them and that they will bring us the same kind of joy we give them. Yeah, I checked them out after they emailed us. They've got a really great report. And so I'm kind of jealous of their name. <laughs> yeah. Why Church, should we think of that? Church drunk. <laughs> yeah, so go. The, they, they do explain what that means in their email. It's it's not actually being drunk at church it's that feeling after they're they're, um college ministry people and so once you've spent a lot of time with young people trying to get them involved in their faith you might you might leave leave the building feeling a little a little church (laughs) a little church (laughs) which is different than when you're a eucharistic minister and fathers poured a little too much wine (laughs) in a daily mass yes (laughs) Oh, yeah. And they also included a little P.S. to our host, Zach, which I will quote directly. We've also been meaning to tell Zach that in the face of witchcraft, the sign of the cross will do him little good. If Roald Dahl has taught us anything, it is that the only way to defeat a witch is to turn her into a mouse. A mouse? That sounds like witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) Got that too. (laughs) And maybe for a little bit of a reading from our Twitter feed, we asked our followers this week what their favorite holy week and easter traditions were so i'll start off with a message from gerald who said holy week tradition number one at my house safeguarding the catholic faith by staying away from anything quote-unquote jesuit on tv and online not doing so great gerald because you tweeted at us yeah it's literally in our name jesuit so So, good job uh i like this one uh from gruber stew Getting a baby rabbit to fatten up for Fourth of July, Hassenpfeffer. What? Like, what is? I, if my German. <laughs> oh Lord! Memory there you go. recalls. I believe that's a rabbit stew. Ah, okay. All right, Steve. Steve Gruber. I hope you enjoy your rabbit stew. Um, we've got one from our guest from last week, Katie McKenna. Uh, she says, "I love Easter Sunday Mass. It's all. It always gives me so much joy and really makes me feel connected to my faith, family, and community." think that goes for a lot of people yeah and sarah says there was always a cake after the easter vigil to celebrate the new christians it was like your reward for getting through a four-hour mass (laughs) (laughs) necessary yeah all right time for consolations and desolations the part of our show where we talk about where we found god this week and where it was harder to find god zach what do you have so i guess today i wanted to sort of Maybe it's not like a life consolation, but it was a moment of grace that I had over the weekend where I was, I was in Chicago, which is, you know, where I went to college, which is, that's always very consoling being with people. I mentioned that before, but I was walking down the street by myself and I had my headphones in and it was Palm Sunday and it was maybe like 11 or 12 people maybe were getting back from the morning mass and I was walking by this antique store. And it was very cluttered and crowded and there's clocks and toy trucks and all kinds of things on this table in this window. 
And, but there's a crucifix right to the side. And as I walked by it, I like saw something and I turned around just over my shoulder and there is an older man just sort of like taking a palm that he'd gotten from mass and just like draping it over the crucifix. And like, as this is happening, I turn around and I'm like, I need to videotape this. This will be a great tweet. Like, this is such a beautiful moment of devotion. I need to, I don't know, I'm a journalist. I need to like somehow document it. And I was like, there's no way that I could do that right now. It'll be done by the time I pull out my phone. So I just like sort of sat and watched and this man probably thought I was, <laughs> I don't know what he thought, but I was really moved by that. So that was just this beautiful small act of devotion that I witnessed was really, that was Lovely. my consolation yeah. this week. And you described it beautifully. So I'm glad yeah. you didn't try to tweet it or record it. And just <laughs> be present. You sort yeah. it in your memory for us. Yeah. So. Nice. All right. What about you, Olga? Um, so my consolation this week, um, the guy that I'm dating, I mentioned, I think, in past episodes. Um, well, no, it's not. not sorry, sorry. <laughs> let, let me. That was a really awkward introduction. Um, no, it wasn't. I was awkward. No, it, 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 yes. it was very awkward. Go ahead, Olga. <laughs> Ashley. So my boyfriend, which is the official label as of this week, um, is oh. a... Sorry. Oh, Lord. No, we have to get into that. <laughs> oh, God. Ashley, we can touch base on oh right, well, after Jesuitical. Um, so anyways, could, you keep, could you please keep this professional? Like? <laughs> uh, so anyways, so my boyfriend is a Protestant, as I've mentioned in past episodes, and he goes to a church in Harlem, which is, um, it's not a Protestant uh, service. There are different faiths there. Um, and I was there really early Sunday morning. He's part of the worship team there. And just kind of seeing people celebrating together, like different races, different faiths, and just seeing how explicit they are in their faith and just how comfortable they are. And there's no structure. It's just people greeting you, people talking to one another. Um, and it was really just a beautiful moment, you know, and I was just there uh, very quiet and just immersed in it. So, you know, like Zach, you were mentioning, you didn't want to record it. You just kind of wanted to be present in it. So uh, that was really consoling for me this week. Nice. Is worship team just code for band? Pretty much. <laughs> The first time he said he's part of the worship team, I'm like, oh, okay, like, they're JV like university. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, so they're just going to be like worshiping at the altar or something. And it's like, oh no, he's a drummer. Like, it's yeah, just yeah, but that can, that can lead people into worship. So yeah. that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it was really beautiful. Nice. Cool. All right. We yeah. can debrief the rest of the news <laughs> from your personal life later. So what do you have this week, Ashley? Uh, yes. So yesterday, um, Sean Tripoli, the designer of Jesuitical's logo, brought his two kids into the office. Um, it's, I think it's their spring break. So they had to come in. Um, and I, uh, took one for the team and let <laughs> Sean be productive by hanging out with his daughter all day. Yeah. Um, she really sacrificed herself, guys. No. Oh my gosh. We were just coloring stars and princesses and castles and Easter baskets and, that in itself was consoling, but just being in the presence of like young kids was really great. We're at a, I don't know, we're at a point in our lives where if you're not married with children, you're not really interacting with children. That's I mean, true. and we're lucky enough to li work at an office where it's pretty intergenerational. So we work with older More than 20 year olds. Yeah. So we work with people who are in their eighties and people who are in their twenties. Um, but it's not every day you're hanging out with kids. Um, and it was just, they brought so much joy to me. I really do love being around kids. Um, yeah. 
So and it was beautiful to watch Ashley like totally. First of all, Ashley's a workaholic. She works very, very hard. Um, and just seeing her surrounded by kids, it was just like this whole other side of her that I hadn't seen. And I'm just like, this is so precious. Um, yeah, yeah. So was, I'm just like Jesus. Let the children come to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Thanks. Thanks for taking the words right out of my mouth. That was going to be my next thought. Ashley McKinless is just like Jesus. So. Yeah. There it is. Three consolations this week. Yeah. And do you know why we did that? This is Good Friday. You're listening. So, and we assume that the death of our Lord is desolating enough. Right. So, so we'll leave you with, with these three consolations. Yeah. There we go. But death is not the final word. Mm-hmm. He is risen. Alleluia. Hallelujah. Judge Whittacle is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit Formation, provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Adult Supervision, provided by Carrie Weber. Our logo is by the father of Marlo and Max, a.k.a. Sean Tripoli. <laughs> Subscribe to us on iTunes. Yes, please. iTunes. Uh, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Leave us a review and rating. That's the best way to... Get our get our name out there. And email your friends. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Yeah, we've got a nice little community going over there. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and as you now know, we're pretty close to Pontifex. So, you know, tweet us. Maybe he'll retweet you. You <laughs> yeah. never know. You never know. <laughs> and yes, please do send Retweets us. Retweets are not guaranteed. <laughs> Send us your questions, feedback, recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericaMedia.org. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless, joined by Zach Davis and Olga Segura. We will see you next week. Bye, y'all. <laughs>